0: The scripture reading today comes from Genesis chapter 8, verse 29, 17 to nine seventeen. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "'Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth.'" The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from man." From this, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth, earth with you as many as came out of the ark it is for every beast of the earth i establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth and god said this is the sign of the covenant that i make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations i have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth and all the flesh that is on earth. This is the reading of God's holy word.
1: Morning. Let's uh, pause and pray together again. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we ask now that as we look to it, your Holy Spirit would speak your truth and your hope and your grace to us. Amen. This summer, we have been working through the opening chapters of the Old Testament book of Genesis, and the passage that we've just heard read for us tells us what happened to Noah and his family after the waters of the flood receded and they climbed out of the ark. They, they climbed out of the ark into a world in which three spiritual dynamics were at play. And these these three spiritual dynamics are actually still at play in the world that you and I live in today. And these dynamics are, first, the persistence of sin, second, the promise of life, and third, the mystery of grace. Those are the things I want to talk about today. So first, I um, the persistence of sin. Um, sin is persistent. It doesn't go away very easily. You see that in, in this story. So here's what happened in the flood. In the flood, essentially, what God did is he took the most righteous man in the world in his generation. That's what we saw last week. That's who Noah was. The most righteous man in the world in his generation. God took that man and set him and his family apart by themselves in the ark. Now, if if Noah's listen, if he's the most righteous man in the world, what what, what does that mean? Well, he must have must have been a man of prayer, right? He must have been a man of faith. He must have been a man who sincerely loved his wife and his children, a, a man served his neighbors a man who helped the poor, a man who worshiped God we see that today first thing out of the boat he's worshiping God so this is the kind of man that Noah is the kind of man that leads his family in, in ways of righteousness. So God took the most righteous man in the world in his generation he set that man and his family apart all by themselves in this ark and then through the flood God Washed out of the world every evil influence that there was. I mean just got, he, he, he got he got rid of anything that might tempt Noah and his family to sin, anything that might ever lead them astray, anything that might cause their hearts to wander, anything that might weaken their faith through through the flood. God just washed basically all sources of evil from the world. Imagine what would What would God have to remove from our world to do something like that? What would he have to get rid of? All godless entertainment, all corporate greed, all industrial waste and pollution. He'd have to get rid of all pornography and all the hate groups and all all nuclear bombs. He'd have to get rid of all the arms dealers and all the drug dealers and, and all the atheistic philosophies that are taught in secular universities and schools. He'd have to get rid of all racism and all sexism and all terrorism and all xenophobia, just hatred of every kind. He'd have to get rid of false religions, get rid of the occult he'd have to get rid of materialism and and uh, and dictatorships and street gangs and corrupt politicians imagine if God just got rid of all that i mean who knows maybe he'd even get rid of your favorite television show just anything that might cause people's hearts to wander from him imagine what the world would be like if God just removed anything anything that stood against the value of his kingdom anything that might uh, influence people to sin. Well, that's, that's the story of Noah. That's what God did for Noah. He took God. So this is what's going on here. The most righteous family in the whole world climbs out of a boat into a world from which every evil influence has been removed. And guess what got off the boat with them? Sin. Their own sin human sin was still there all the floods the waters of the flood hadn't washed it away and you you see this throughout the passage for example verse 5 through 7 this is on their very first day on dry ground god basically says to Noah, he says no you know what we need to come up with some laws that will govern what to do when one of you murders one of the others we need to have just have some laws. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. We need, God says, we need laws to govern homicide. Can you imagine if you're Noah? If I were Noah, I'd be like, God, oh, what are you talking about? Homicide, murder. It's me, Noah. It's me. We're the most righteous family in the world. We're not going to do that. We don't need those kind of laws. And God is like, oh, yes, you do. And in, in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 9, God says, and Noah, you know, the animals are going to be scared to death of you. Animals are going to fear you, you and your progeny, you and your descendants. Everywhere you go in this planet, you are going to wreak ecological havoc on the environment. Everywhere you go, every species of animal will tremble with fear because of you. You and your descendants are going to destroy the planet. Now, again, if I'm Noah, I'd be like, God, come on, who do you think you're talking to here? It's me, Noah. I'm the guy who just saved all the species of animals. Remember me? I brought them on the boat. I've been feeding them. I've been brushing their fur every day. I've been cleaning up their mess. I'm the animal lover. My family's not going to destroy the planet. And God's like, oh, yes, you will. The most righteous family in the world is preserved. Every evil influence is gone. Sin is still there. It's persistent. It won't go away. And and the reason reason for this is because, have you ever ever just been discouraged by your own sin? Feel like, man, I wish I could just stop being selfish. I wish I could stop being such a coward. I wish I would be more loving. The, The reason it won't go away is because our sin is not caused by external factors. I mean, if you could somehow isolate yourself from every evil influence in, in the world, your brokenness, your cowardice, your selfishness, it would still be there with you. And the reason for this is because sinfulness, it, it's not outside us, it's inside us. That's so what God says here in verse 21 of chapter 8. He looks, at, he looks at this righteous family climbing out of this boat, and he says, the intention of man's what? Man's heart the heart of mankind, he said, is evil from his youth. It's something inside. Years, years ago, a, a researcher conducted a survey in which he, he posed a hypothetical question to some people, and the question he asked was, he said, would you be willing to try on a sweater that had been worn by Adolf Hitler? And everybody was like, no, gross, I would never, I would never do that. And, and so then he began to ask a series of questions offering money and in, with increasing amounts. Like, would you do it for $50? No. Would you do it for $100? No. Would you do it for $500? No. And then he asked one final hypothetical, hypothetical question. He said, what if we were to unravel the yarn of that sweater wash and dry the yarn and re-knit it again into a new sweater would you then be willing to put on a sweater that had been worn by adolf hitler and most of the people still said no way i would never let something come into contact with my body that had once touched the skin of that evil man and what that survey proves is nothing doesn't really prove anything but it illustrates i think um, a tendency that we have, I have this, as humans, we tend, we tend to view evil as something that's extrinsic to us. It's on the outside. So if I can just stay away from bad people and bad places and bad movies and bad TV shows and bad cities and bad, if I can just stay away from those things, it won't get me. But the Bible says that evil, sin, human sin is not something extrinsic to us, it's something intrinsic the brokenness is in here it's an internal problem and so have you ever have you ever discovered this you can't solve an internal problem by making an, an external change a lot of uh, uh, many christian men have discovered this maybe when they're younger men they really feel in a very heavy way, that they're struggling with what St. John, in his first epistle, he called it the lust of the eye. They they find themselves just really struggling. They're looking, every time they're looking at women or pictures of women, they're they're feeling impure desires, they're thinking wrong thoughts, and they know this is bad, and so they say to themselves, if I could just get married, then my eye would be only for my wife, then I'd have a healthy way to express my, my passion. I wouldn't struggle with this anymore. And they get married. And three days into the honeymoon, they find their head turning and their eyes looking, you know, at what, the cleaning woman in the hotel. And they're like, what in the world is wrong with me? I made a change, but I'm still the same. Or let's imagine there's a Christian woman, and she, she really struggles with anger. She's just so mad at so many people in her church, her congregation. She's mad at this person for doing that. She's mad at that person for saying this. She's mad at somebody else for failing to do something else. She's just angry at people in the church. And she says to herself, if I could just find a better church, you know, a higher caliber of people, so, you know, and then I wouldn't have this problem. And so she leaves that congregation, joins another, and you know what happens. Within six months, the anger is there again. Why? Why? You can't solve internal problems by making external changes. All Listen, all the waters of the flood couldn't wash human sin away, right? It, it's this persistent thing. Sometimes it's so discouraging, isn't it? Persistent our sin is because um, because wherever you go, there you are. And wherever you are, your brokenness and your unbelief and your selfishness and your cowardice it's right there with you let's, let's be honest as, as, as for those of us here who are really our hearts desires to honor god and follow jesus sometimes isn't that so discouraging just so discouraging sometimes as christians you even find you know you ever, you ever experience this that you you find that you can't even you can't even love the people that you love most in the whole world. You can't even love them the way you want to. It's just your own selfishness gets in the way of loving your, your parents or loving your siblings or loving your, your spouse. It just it won't go away. The Apostle Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. He said this. This is his testimony. He said, I find this law at work, although I want to do good evil is right there with me so that's one one spiritual dynamic we see going on in this story here that's the persistence of sin Sec- a second one we see however is the promise of life so god knows how sinful noah and his family are noah doesn't even know how bad he is but god does god 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 knows that the flood has not washed human evil out of the world. God knows that this little group of people whom He saved by his mercy, he knows that they're going to make a mess of their lives. They're going to make a mess of the world. God knows all this. And yet, what does God say to them? Verse 21 and 22 of chapter 8, he says, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth neither will i ever again strike down every living creature as i've done while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night will never cease again he says something similar verse 11 and verse 9 he says i established my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth so God, looking at this little group of sinners getting off the boat, he promises life to them. Now, you notice that two times God says uh, these words to Noah. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He says that in verse 1 of chapter 9. He says it again in verse 7 of chapter 9. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And if those words sound familiar to you, it's because those were the, do you remember? Those were the words God said at the very beginning of creation. He spoke those words over, over the human beings in, in Genesis chapter 1, long before the fall, long before there was sin. That was God's original purpose for human beings. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, And God declares that to Noah and his family, even though they're still struggling with sin. So essentially, here's what's going on in in the story of Noah. God is saying to Noah, I know how sinful you are. I know how broken you are. I know how messed up you are. And I love you anyway and I'm promising life. And even though you're broken, I still have a purpose for you. Can you imagine what it would feel like for God to say that to you? Like, let's imagine, you have an imagination, right? Imagine that tonight while you're sleeping in your bed, An angel appears in your bedroom. It just wakes you up. And and, and the angel says, I have been sent from heaven with a message for you. (laughs) You'd be like, what is it? And and, and imagine the angel says, God sent me to tell you that he knows how sinful you are. He knows how broken you are. He knows how messed up you are. And he loves you anyway. And he still has a purpose for you. Wouldn't Wouldn't that be great? Well, listen, believer in Christ, you don't need an angel to come tell you that because that is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is already saying. God is saying, I know how broken you are. I know how sinful you are. You're more messed up than you realize, but you know what? I love you anyway, just because. And I still have a purpose for you. That's this incredible promise of life. So when you kind of Put these two concepts together the, the persistence of sin and the promise of life that leads to my third point is there's this great mystery i mean this great question and i think the question is being raised by the by this this passage is how how can god pull this off how can how can god promise life to a sinful world and yet at the same time be a holy god we sang about God's holiness. Holy, when, when we sing holy, 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 you know what you're declaring? You are a God who will not tolerate injustice and sin. You will not. So how, how can God promise life to a sinful world and still be a God who punishes sin? How, how, can, uh, how can God be righteous and just, the, uh, the punisher of iniquity, and yet at the same time promise life to sinners? That's the big question. There's a hint that points to the answer. And I think it's found in verse 4 of chapter 9. God has just said to Noah, go ahead, eat whatever you want. You can eat trees, you can eat fruit, you can eat vegetables, you can eat meat, you can eat whatever you want. And he says, verse 4, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Isn't that? Isn't that weird? I mean, why in the world? We just had a flood. The whole earth has changed. We're trying to start our life over again, and God is giving us some kind of dietary retric- restriction here. What, in the, what is going on? It's so bizarre, isn't it? Why would God even talk about blood at this point? What is going on here? Well, listen, many scholars have looked at this, and, and their sense is that even at this early, early Primeval stage of our development as, as the human race, God is beginning to train His people to have a reverent understanding of the sacred nature of blood. Just this kind of rudimentary way, God is be, beginning to, to teach us to view blood as sacred. Again, why? Because someday God knew blood would be shed to atone for our sin. Noah and his family have been looking at water for the last how many months? Looking out the window of this ark, all they see is water, 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 water. All the water didn't help. It washed the world a million times, didn't wash sin away. All the water in the world didn't help. And so God says, it's time to stop talking about water. And you talk about blood. Only... Shed blood will someday solve the problem of your sin. And I think that what he's he's, he's pointing to here, he's pointing to the cross of his son. That's the answer to the question. How can God be holy, righteous? He punishes sin, and yet God who spares sinners, the answer is found on the cross. Because, listen, God gives life to sinners by giving the death they deserve his son, Jesus. The Apostle Paul described that in very theological terms in Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The the waters of the flood could not wash away the corruption of human sin. The blood of God's Son can and does and did. And the mystery is a mystery of grace. The, The... the way that God can give life to sinners and still be one who punishes sin is by giving the death to himself in the person of Jesus. Now, the sign that God gives them is the, the rainbow, and that's the beautiful part of this story, because what, what is more beautiful than a rainbow? You've, you've seen them, right? It's just amazing. you listen, I'm not a young guy anymore, and yet how many rainbows have I seen in my life? Every time there's a new one, I stop with wonder. Isn't it so amazing? I mean, you've seen them before, but they always catch your eye. They're so beautiful. And God says, this is the, this is the sign of my promise. This is the sign of, of the covenant, Noah, that I'm making with you. It's the, it's the bow in the clouds. So in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 9, it says, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It's the rainbow. Now, if you think of the rainbow as being a bow, you ever shoot a bow and arrow? You ever do that? Actually, in Hebrew, it, the, the word here is not rainbow. It's, it's war bow. It is referring to a weapon, but it's, it's clearly talking about this rainbow if you think of think of a rainbow as a weapon that's ready to shoot arrows of wrath which direction is the weapon aiming it's not aiming down at us it's aiming up at heaven and I wonder if with this sign, what God is saying to Noah is just saying, "No, listen, in order for me to give you and your children the life you don't deserve, the arrows of my wrath are going to be aimed at me. Up here at my heaven, at my heart, at my son, the, the arrows of wrath you deserve. I'll take them. So that even though your sin just won't go away, it's this persistent problem, I can treat you with mercy and grace Because I'll take the punishment you deserve. I think that's the way to understand the rainbow. And so every time you see a rainbow, I wonder if we'll see one in the next few weeks. God says, every time I see a rainbow, it's going to remind me that I'm never going to stop loving my people. So every time you see a rainbow, just say, you know what? God's never going to stop loving me. And the reason for that believer is because of what he's done through his son. Now, that's so encouraging for those of us who feel frustrated with our own sin. I wonder if you ever felt that way, just frustrated. Why can't I stop being so selfish? Why do I keep saying things that hurt people I love? Why do I keep thinking thoughts I don't want to think? You ever feel that way? Maybe today you just feel overwhelmed with those kind of thoughts. You've never even contemplated that there might be a solution for for your own brokenness. And the solution is here in God's Word. It's grace, and it's given freely to anyone and everyone who will just trust God's Son. Let's, Let's pray together.